Our text this morning is taken uh, from the first epistle of John, uh, chapter 3, and verses 1 and 2. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father, we are here to worship. We are here to learn. We are here to be changed. Uh, Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. A case of forgotten identity. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are running some errands. You're in your car. You have several stops to make. And as you're proceeding down one of the streets, it dawns on you that you don't know where you're going. You've forgotten (laughs) where you're going. Now, we smile a little bit at that. Uh, Because, you know, as we get older, I've had it myself, you walk into a room, why did I come in here? Well, you think it's going to come to you in a few moments, but you're struggling. And then it dawns on you that you don't know where you are. You look around, you laugh, wait till it happens. And you begin to panic a little bit. You look around, nothing makes any sense. Nothing you recognize. So you pull over to the side of the road and someone sees that you're in a little bit of distress and they pull over to try to help. And it is then that you discover not only do you not know where you're going, you don't know where you are, you don't know who you are. This is a condition called disassociative amnesia. And throughout history, there have been a number of famous people who have gone down this dark road. One was Agatha Christie, uh, the great mystery writer, who in 1926 came, became the object of a mystery herself. When for 11 days, she was not to be found. And after those 11 days, she was found 200 miles from where she had left her car. And she claimed to have no recollection of where she had been or what had happened during those 11 days. Now, I can't think of anything any more terrifying or disruptive to life than the experience of this kind of trauma. The threats to your family, to your career, 
and to your sanity are very real. The chances of us going through something like this are rather small, but I want to submit today that there is a condition in the church of God today that I would call spiritual amnesia, that we suffer from forgetting who we are. We suffer from a lack of understanding of our core identity. And as a result, we often feel lost, confused, and spiritually disoriented. And I have, uh, in preparing the sermon, it just came to me the vast number of areas of the life that this applies to. And this one sermon is only going to be able to scratch the surface. But we can, we can certainly all today here find answers to the questions about who we are physically. We know our family. We know our jobs. We, we know where we've lived. We know our race. We know everything possibly to know that there is about us. But sometimes we have forgotten who our identity is in Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to answer that question. And it's going to be a rather short answer. And so the majority of this message is not going to be geared toward answering the question, but it's going to be geared toward investigating the vast implications of it. Of which I can only, as I say, scratch the surface. So, here's the short part of the sermon. Who are you? John answers that question. Behold. Now, the NIV leaves that word out. But the word in the Greek is behold. It is look. It is see. It is pay attention. You're about to experience something and see something and hear something that have vast importance. Behold. What manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. So who are you? Who are my, Who am I? What is our core identity? We are children of God. You are a child of God. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your core identity is that you are You are a child of God, and as I said, the staggering truth is the phenomenal impact that it has on every aspect of your life, whether you're aware of it or not. As a matter of fact, one of the things that characterizes spiritual amnesia is that we often don't even know that we have it. We're not aware that our identities are wrapped up in things other than what God has provided us as children. And so, if it is true that you are indeed a child of God, that he has lavished his love upon you as a child of God, the first thing that I believe that we can say as, a, as, as an application to that is, That you are not defined by the opinion of others. You are not defined by what others say to you or about you. 
I remember reading a number of years ago a, um, a story about uh, a coach, Bear Bryant, who coached a number of, of cottage football teams, most notably Alabama in the 60s and 70s. And he was going through, at this particular time, a kind of difficult period in his coaching. They weren't doing too well. And some of the uh, sports writers were beginning to say some bad things about Coach Bryant, like he ought to leave. And someone asked him, he said, Coach, uh, are you aware of uh, some of what these sports writers are saying about you? He said, well, you know, I don't care. They can say all the bad things about me they want to. They can drag my name in the mud. They can assassinate my character. And it doesn't bother me one bit as long as they start the article with three words. In my opinion. (laughs) Well, when people say bad things about us, let's face it. It seems like more than just their opinion. These things can cut to the core of our hearts. And if we're honest, we will admit that we're all affected to some degree about what others say about us. And that's because we are social creatures. And some of the greatest pain that we will ever endure are those that are given as words from other people. Most all of us if some have at some point experienced those heart wounds given to us by misguided people. What am I talking about? You're a failure. You're stupid. You're ugly. And just hearing those words in the context of a sermon can pierce the heart. And they're hard to shake. And more than that, they actually end up becoming a part of our identity, of how we think about ourselves. And I want to say just a word here to the youth of our church. This is one of the most difficult and powerful challenges that you will face in your teen years. These are the years that you're most vulnerable to the brutal and verbal put-downs of your peers. And as all of us know, it doesn't stop there. We deal with it throughout life. And I also want to say a word to any of you who may be listening, who are on the giving end of such belittling and abusive words. I just want to say for your sake, for everyone's sake, and for God's sake, stop it. Stop it if you are verbally assaulting one of God's children because he doesn't take it lightly. And we are living in a time of an epidemic of bullying. But when we understand the implications of the gospel... It sets us free from being tyrannized by what others say and think about us. How so? Because God comes to us and he adopts us into his family. And he says from from now on, I want your core identity to be in me. 
You are my child, and what people say to you and about you is not the judgment of heaven. Listen to the words again of the text. Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And here, John does something a little bit unusual in the Greek. He says that we are called the children of God. And then there's a little phrase in there that says, and that is what you are. You're called that. Not because of some nice idea that you've picked up along the way. It's not because of some illusion of your mind. You are called the children of God, John says, because that's exactly who you are. It's almost like John fears that we're going to gloss over this and miss the extraordinary power that lies behind it. And so I submit this morning, folks, that this is huge because the more we understand and ground our identity in Christ, the less power that we give to the opinions of other people. Now, there's a second application here that I, would, uh, that I think is extremely important. Not only are we free from the opinions of others, but we're not defined by the accusations of Satan. Now you say, Stan, how in the world did Satan get into this? Well, think about it. All of us go through life trying to figure out who we are, trying to figure out how we fit in, what group are we going to be a part of, who is going to be our friends, who will accept me, who will value me. And what we're trying to do is to establish an identity. And the goal is to be accepted, to be loved, to be appreciated, and to be valued. And please hear this, folks, that these desires are God-given desires. You and I were made to join in and be a part of a social network. It's actually a part of the image of God himself. And that's why family is and always has been the most dominant force in a person's life from the day he's born to the day he or she is, dies, family will have the greatest impact on a person's life. But here comes the voice of the enemy who knows that we esteem relationships and our social connections. And he says, yes, but, but you know, you're different. You don't fit in. You're unacceptable. Look at your past. Look at your present. You're a fake. And the painful thing is that all of those words strike at the very heart of our identity. And Satan's message is not just that we have done bad things. We know that. His message is that we are bad to the core. That we are irredeemable. That we cannot be loved. 
Well, I want to give you a couple of tips on how to recognize the voice of Satan. First of all, Satan's accusations will always come in the form of something that's probably true. He knows your past. He knows what you've struggled with. And so you may be face to face with some sin in your life, something that you've done, some shortcoming, some failure, and what he wants to do is pick it apart. That's you. You'll never be any different. And the second thing it teaches us is that Satan will always try to destroy us. He's never going to allow us to enjoy the freedom of our position in Christ. And it's always going to be done in a spirit of condemnation and judgmentalism. You see, this is so important for us to know, folks, because, you see, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us. And that's important. But it's never to destroy us. It's always to bring us grace. It's always to make us overcomers. It's always to help us to understand our identity in Christ. But Satan wants to define you by your track record. And as long as you play that game, you will lose and forget your identity in Christ and you will try to be accepted on his terms and it will always be a losing cause. Now, I don't want to offend anyone here by something that I'm going to say, uh, but there is a term that is used in the Christian life. I have used it myself, and I would like to challenge it. The term is this. I am a sinner saved by grace. Now, what could be more biblically and theologically accurate than to say that you are saved by grace? I get what that means. But I want to just suggest a better way to define yourself. Rather than say, I'm a sinner saved by grace, try this. I am a child of God saved by grace. Do you hear the difference? The difference is in the matter of our identity. We know that we have sinned. We understand that. But it's not the sin that defines us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called sinners saved by grace? Well, I mean, okay. No. That we should be called the children of God. That is what defines us. Now, in my third point, I want us to see what I believe to be the greatest privilege of being a child of God. And it's this. As a child of God, you are given an open door prayer life. That is, that there is never a moment when you as a child of God are denied access to the presence of God. 
The last few years, I have had uh, the frustrating experience, let's say, of trying to get in touch with someone, normally uh, is someone that's fairly important, and that call is important because it hinges on an action that I've got to take that I'm waiting for an answer for. And then, behold, I am faced with that modern concept called the gatekeeper. Gatekeepers are the people that you have to go through to get to the people that you really want to talk to. And they are normally are going to say that the person that you're wanting to talk to is unavailable, but they will be sure to give that person your message, and they will call you back as soon as they possibly can. Yeah. Obviously, the person that you're wanting to talk to is busy, and they're acting to screen the calls. Well, guess what? When you need access to the throne, when you're tired and weary and hurting, when you need help and grace and guidance and wisdom, there are no gatekeepers in heaven. There's no one there that is going to judge whether or not your request is worthy of God's attention. As your father, God is delighted in your reaching out to him. You know, I've said a number of occasions, and I've heard many folks say through the years, that my biggest struggle in life is my prayer life. I would just do anything if I could improve that one area of my life. It is my biggest struggle. Well, I submit today when we embrace the truth that God has not only saved us and redeemed us and forgiven us, but he has made us family. It is then that our prayers cease to be another box to check on in our to-do list. We enjoy an open door to bring our worship, our requests, our burdens, and our cares never to be turned away. And I believe that when we do, that a transformation can really then take place in our prayer lives. Because the more that we practice his presence, the more we long for it. The more like family we become. The more we come into his presence, the more we learn how available and how open that he is. A number of months ago, Richard shared an illustration about prayer that has really touched me. He said, prayer is like being a child and climbing up into the lap of your father and sharing and talking about anything and everything on your heart and mind and being there to just enjoy a profound intimacy. Well, how is it possible to do that? How is it possible for us to climb up into the arms of our Heavenly Father with such tremendous 
intimacy? There's only one way. And is, that is, if we belong there, if we really belong there, and what God wants us to know is that you are not some stranger, but you're a child of the King, and you belong. When I was a senior in high school, I had the privilege of becoming a camp counselor to look up and look up Lodge, a Christian camp in northern Greenville County. And uh, that particular summer, actually right after my senior year in high school, there was one boy in the cabin who was always wanting more attention than I could give him. But I really enjoyed working with him, and we developed a very good relationship. And it was not until about three days into the two-week camp experience uh, that I found out who this child was. His name was Ned Graham. He was the youngest son of Dr. Billy Graham. And on the last day of camp, I had to go back into my cabin to pick up some stuff. We were getting ready to leave. And I walked into the room, and who sat there but Billy Graham playing with his son, Ned. The first thing I did is excused myself. Sir, I'm sorry. I will let you. And he said, no, please come in. Gracious man. And we spent the next few minutes in dialogue. I have absolutely no idea what I said. But I do remember two things. I remember how nervous I was. And I looked over at Ned and I saw how comfortable he was. Playing with his father as if his father were just another dad. And I've thought about that and I've asked myself, what's the difference? What was the difference? And I believe the difference was this. Ned knew that he belonged. And I wasn't sure that I did. You and I stand in the presence of the God of this universe and beyond. And it's important today for us to know that you are a child of Jesus Christ and that you're not a stranger in his presence. You belong. For behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. But that's exactly what you are. Let us bow. Our Lord, we are astounded to know of the welcome we find in your presence as your children. Lord, just open our hearts to receive this truth 
and to build our lives in the knowledge that we are indeed your children. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.